0: So this is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Tokyo Teens. And just to let you know, Tokyo Teens is composed of Jimmy B and Grammy-winning producer Billy Hume. And so we just want to welcome you to the program. This is the first interview we've done with you guys. Yes, thank you.
1: Thanks for having us tonight.
0: And uh, we always have a sponsor. So to let everybody know, we work with Newsly.me. They're an iOS app, and they're on the Android uh, store. And what happens is they read the news to you in a natural human voice. So you can stop scrolling and start listening. Use coupon code GOES2021 and that does work. And you get one month free premium subscription to Newsly. So check it out. It's pretty cool. And they sponsor the podcast. So you can actually listen to us through the Newsly app. So you'll be able to listen to this after. And so thank you very much for you guys being on the show. It's um. It's just really cool to have um, new guests all the time. And you guys are, are significantly uh, involved in the industry. We're going to get into that. But we actually have a video that we're going to play. We're queuing it up. And uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see because your project's not out yet. So people are going to get a preview of what it sounds like before we get into the interview. Right, right. Okay, so I'm going to play them. Put you on mute, and then we'll play this, okay? All right. All right. that is uh hurts hurt too much and we're coming back to the main interview so that is a really great preview you guys can hear me right <laughs> yes yeah. yeah
1: thank you yeah
0: yeah so I, I love the i love the percussion um that and you know, i love the way you do that on, uh, you know real percussion because so many people are in the box mm-hmm. today it's um it's interesting so maybe my first question I asked uh, billy is, 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 is being a percussionist is that where you started
2: yeah i started as a drummer when i first got in bands i was a drummer and mm-hmm. i don't i don't really play drums now but i definitely will put percussion on things that i'm producing
0: yeah that i like that touch because that, that is a uh, something i've always um lo- you know, i spend a lot of time with like moog analog drum machines but I've had real drummers in my band and um, there's nothing like having a, a, a human being playing percussion when you're playing live. I just I, I just, I just, I always tell bands like, if you've never done it, you need to do try that.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: um, because it's just something that changes. I mean, it changes how I write. It changes how I play if I play with a percussionist, but um, yeah, I think it's very important to the sound. Um, so one of the, First things I always ask any band I talk to, I mean, you guys are working on a brand new project is, um, you know, I don't know who wants to go first. Like, When did you first get into music? If you want to, want to get into it, or whoever wants to answer the question first. Like uh, what age.
1: I started uh, probably around the age of 10 or 11. My dad was a guitar player and a bass player. Uh, so just watching him open up the guitar case, pull out the guitar and play for me, uh, was, that's what got me started. So I got some guitar books and started teaching myself how to play. And so the concept of teaching yourself how to play an instrument when you don't know how to play it blows my mind, (laughs) Yeah, but that's how, that's how it's done.
0: So your dad didn't want to to step in. He just let you kind of do it, do it on your own. No,
1: he didn't want me to ruin my life. He wanted me to uh, get a job and, and make something of myself.
0: Oh, so he was. But I showed him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah. So anyway, and then um, everything took off from there. If you have any talent at all, and any interest mm-hmm. uh, to develop, that you're gonna you're gonna stay with it. And you know, it's like a lot of a lot of musicians say, you didn't choose music. It shows you
0: yeah it's true. right
1: so um and that's what happened to me and I'm, I'm sure i can speak for billy as well
2: well actually my mom wanted me to take piano lessons oh she did yeah it was like i was like 12 or 13 and this was back in the 70s piano wasn't cool back then yeah and <laughs> i we were i was living on an army base i lived in germany they were walking through this building, and they had like a, a nightclub for the for the soldiers, and she was talking about piano lessons. And I looked in this door, and it was the daytime. They're like it, the bar wouldn't open, but there was somebody cleaning up, and there was a stage, and they had these cool lights, and there was a drum set on the stage. Oh, I yeah. remember looking at that, going, That's "Drums, it? drums are cool." So I just kind of just I just said, hey, uh, instead of piano, can I take drum lessons instead? I just said it because the drums look cool. And yeah. she said, sure. So that's how I started playing. It was really it was kind of just so I didn't have to take piano lessons.
0: Yeah, I mean, the 70s was kind of like the age of like like the, the, the like the, the, the star drummer, like the Keith Moons and the John Bonham. Oh, and yeah. Mitch yeah. and Guys like yeah. that. Like I was always like drawn to Keith. Because yeah. mm. I love the way that he had this total abandon. You know, that it just he wasn't keeping time like Ringo. And like and right. that was like to me like the Pooh were like the first punks.
1: Yeah. because yes. Because
0: of that kind of punk attitude that they had. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think the drums mm-hmm. is something that yeah, yeah, my parents wouldn't let me do it, so I got on the piano. But <laughs> 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 then I went and and tried to change it by getting into the synths and finding like used like modes and stuff and you know, Jupiter fours I could find and try to try to use them. And I was, you know, and, the, and, the, and when, the when the MTV showed up and I see all these bands using like Jupiter fours and uh, you know, the Prophet fives and Jupiter eights, I'm like, mm. yeah, that's it. And I was just, at yeah, guitar mm. center trying to, trying to mm. jump on a DX seven. <laughs> yeah. They're classics uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what we, this is what we need to do. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I always felt, do you feel like music you were gonna do it to feel you know that it's something that's inside of you or you were tapping into something that, that you said it found you, but did you feel like when you write your own music that it just comes like it's just natural and you just have to do it? Is it's like a driven thing.
1: It is. It is. It's um you know, and some songs come easier than other ones. Some of them just fall in your lap with little effort. Those are gifts from above for sure. And then other ones, you just have to stay with them and hammer at these songs until you finish them and they're a little more stubborn. Um, so, uh, But it's really cool because you get to say what you want to say. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is songs, If you, if you're a good lyricist, you can write lyrics that can be reinterpreted in any way that the listener chooses to so you're you're saying something but they can they're free to reinterpret if they want to that's awesome
0: yeah i think that's the cool thing about being a singer songwriter is i was always drawn to like you know dylan and neil young and the the density of their lyrics but then how people interpret them and then Mm even like sometimes i watch a scorsese film and like Dylan was kind of not comfortable with his protest phase. And he was mm-hmm. like, you know, that that's just the style. That's just what I was doing. I don't really believe like in it. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. Cause like people yeah. like actually took his lyrics and like they felt like he really was living that. And he more, as he got older, he was like, well, you know, that was just a phase I was in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, some
1: songs, some songs you don't, you don't necessarily have to write about anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could just throw some fun lyrics down, make them cool, put some cool sounding words and some cool rhymes in there. Sometimes that's all it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. And in a, yeah. in and a killer you, hook, you have to have hooks. Or yeah, you're yeah. done. You're you're cooked without a hook.
0: Yeah, the weird thing is like you get these guys like you know, like a, like a Dylan he will have like it would be like a, like a I don't know, it's like a song novel. It's like a short story you know if you listen yeah. to it, it wins like a short novel and you're like yeah. wow and then but then you get a song that's like on the radio from the 50s or something just like you know it just has like a hook and yeah. you like even like the motown songs in the stacks yeah. soul songs yeah. they all have yeah they all have these great drum patterns that are just mm-hmm. killer and then these really awesome hooks and then singers that actually can sing like unbelievably well um and, yes. and now we're like in this age where, you know, necessarily you don't have to have where like in mm-hmm. a hip hop age, you're not singing, you know, you don't have to have a five octave voice. So you can have all these different types of interpretations of poetry and things that maybe wouldn't have done well before. And you don't have to have a pitch perfect voice. There's so many different ways you can co- come at it. But you like, do you like songs that are more like, Uh, fun or or songs that are kind of cutting and biting or have like multiple meanings or you just go with whatever you're feeling
1: well i'm a fan of the dramatic so for me a very dramatic song cinematic is that's I, i prefer that i really do and that doesn't mean i don't like fun songs i have some fun songs of my own and there's a single we'll be releasing later on that's it's just straight up fun. Mm-hmm. And that they, and they, they have their place. But for me, something with a dramatic flair always, always hits home, man. It always hits hard. And you know what? Like, look at the major topics uh, in, in popular music. Love. Love lost. Love found. Heartache. Heartbreak. Okay? These mm-hmm. are themes, common themes, that run through all all genres of popular music, and there's a reason for that. And yeah. that all of that is dramatic.
0: I think that's what people interpret. Like if you're thinking about like I always go back, I'm a child of the 70s, right? And I listen to this like the Carpenters. Yeah. And, and the carpenters songs, mm-hmm. those are all like heartbreak. You know, they're yeah. all like longing and heartbreak, and they're like perfect. They're like perfect pop. And but they have yes. this kind of double meaning because the way Karen delivered the vocal right
1: yes, yes, that's another that's another thing too. The dichotomy between sweetness, maybe a sweet vocal delivery and a heavy topic, yeah, you know, or happy sounding music with the lyrical content is heavy,
0: yeah, you, just, you it's, know, it's, I love
1: that, I love it, love it, love you it, know, it hit, dichotomy. you hit a home run every time if you could come up with something like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're gonna knock it out of the park every time, yeah, I can't lose.
0: If your vocals can kind of really be emotional, but the lyrics are not as emotional, then yeah, the, that the vocal list is actually contro- controlling the mood. And it just, does, yeah. And Karen mm-hmm. used to be able to do that. Like she could sing a happy song, but she had so much melancholy kind of in the inherent in her vocal. Yeah, that even if it mm-hmm. was happy, it was sad.
1: <laughs> well, well, she had a troubled life. Yeah, it came through. Uh, <laughs> as well. So, you know what? That came through her vocals. And you know what? She was selling
0: it. Yeah, she, she got selling it. selling the hell out of it. Yeah, she got it. And I think that's it, always yeah, been, yeah, I mean, the thing the thing that you're saying is like when you get a band that can kind of may, maybe have a song that's very catchy, very happy, but if you read the lyrics, it's dark. Yeah. But because of the happy, catchy beat, mm-hmm. you, people might not even know. That's that right. They don't. It's dark, dark as it is. Well, so, you
2: should uh check out blondie's heart of glass
0: yeah
2: <laughs> read the lyrics some of the saddest lyrics i've ever read in my life but i, I never really actually realized that till a few years ago I, I just i just never really thought about it and then i know somebody who redid the song and they did it in a minor key and they made it sad oh, wow. but it's the same lyrics and i it took me like half the song to realize what the song was, Yeah, but it's just, it's like a dance song, but it's the saddest lyrics yes, in the world. That's true. That's, that's always a,
0: a cool device, you know, as an artist, you know, you like, I always mm. thought of, um, I was, w- I was watching a documentary on the Beatles and George Martin was talking about like sound paintings. Right. And he said, he was like, I could have recorded the Beatles like they were in Berlin and just like a live act. But mm-hmm. I wanted to introduce some things I had been doing with Peter Sellers comedy records, where I had tape loops and orchestrations and special effects, wow. and so that kind of gave you like, oh wow! And then the fact is that the Beatles had been listening to the Peter Sellers records that, <laughs> that George Martin had produced, and yeah. so so when you get the Sergeant Pepper's, that whole concept of how it is is not so like they actually kind of agreed, it's like why don't we take these Peter Sellers like theatrical techniques on these comedy records and approach yeah. it. To- with a rock band yeah, and then actually do something yeah, in the cool. studio that you can't do live. Right. Right. And then it kind of created what people can do in DAWs now, but the mm-hmm. idea that you can use the studio as an instrument. So That's what them- we do.
1: That's what we do. Yes. We use the studio as an instrument. We're not afraid to experiment. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I got into making records cause of Pink Floyd.
1: Oh, yeah, and
2: <laughs> I mean, I like, I like performing, but to me, it's all about the studio.
1: You love right and i i think uh when you when you really get into the music of tokyo teens you're going to find a lot of drama you're going to find some deep subjects you're there's cinema in yeah, there
0: cinematic. i mean the song we just played was very cinematic yes i can yes. imagine that like in a film and it had that kind of 80s kind of big bombastic you know early 90s late 80s kind of sound and i, I was a big fan of prince you know and i was i was mm-hmm. really always interested in how he would use drums whether they were on a Lynn or using mm-hmm. his, the drummers he got he was always very focused on on how to use the drums and the sparseness of his compositions was kind of like a studio technique that kind of made leave it like a demo and then he got more expansive like on something like love sexy he layered the, the heck out of his mm-hmm. d50 stuff but mm-hmm. um there's a lot of interesting ways he would approach things from being like super demo, to super kind of fill specter wall of sound on something like love sexy it was yeah. like he was using the d50 and he just went overboard you know i thought it was great some people thought it was too much but i you know you have different approaches mm-hmm. and different songs deserve a different kind of vibe so as you approach a song you got try to feel like a whole album vibe or you just do individual songs and fit, fit, fit them together they put into an ep or an album
1: uh well with this collection of songs, they, it's you might could call it concept.
0: Concept, cool. Uh, you, I love you, that.
1: you could, you could. Uh, there's going to be uh, musical interludes uh, in between, so I mean, you could you could say that, but the songs still stand on their own individually. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So
0: yeah, that's pretty cool when you can do that because I'm a yeah. big fan of the concept record from the '70s. Yeah. Because yeah the, me too overall i like the pink floyd like wish you were here uh you know dark side of the moon the wall
1: i love the wall the wall and <laughs> but and i got to say this my probably my all-time favorite album by pink floyd other than the wall is animals
0: animals is fantastic
1: and animals is difficult to listen to because oh my god i i mean i mean i need to take a uh I need to take a powder or or drink myself to death after it's 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 hard to listen to. It's so emotional
0: for me. Yeah. Well, I used to listen to it with, with like headsets on a vinyl in the, in my basement. In yeah, my me top. too. And uh I just thought it was fantastic. I was a fan of Tommy. Like right? I love Tommy.
1: Oh right? yeah, Tommy, yeah. The Who,
0: I yeah. Yeah. Mar- yeah, I love <clears throat> I love <clears throat> any of the rock operas that Pete would come up with. And yeah. I like the way the Pink Floyd continued that. But in this really atmospheric way, and yeah. uh, and they went from the the you know from the the um, the, the really psychedelic to this atmospheric stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just like was so enthralled with their use of synthesizers and the piano and arrangements, and it's just very expansive. It's kind of like where I, I kind of created my expansive sound concept because I mm-hmm. love the idea that you could go all these directions. I do and, too. And Pink Floyd I meant they're doing classical, they're doing rock, they're doing, you know, a little jazz, they're doing uh you know, tape experiments, like field mm-hmm. recordings, they're just like all over the map, you know. Mm-hmm. They they would put in really interesting, funky rhythms and then have heavy guitar. And it's mm-hmm. like it's it's just mm-hmm. like it's great like, guitar
1: like, work, great guitar yeah. work.
0: Yeah, Gilmore is like unbelievable, and the bass plan is like oh, killer, but the um,
1: uh, the guitar work that we have. With Tokyo Teens, Billy's playing all the guitars, oh, and a, there are some videos on his um, YouTube channel called "Freaking Out with Billy Hume," and he has documented uh, the recording process of uh, some of the guitars. And one of the most interesting videos is where he's using a lap steel with an ebo.
0: Oh, ebo, That's pretty cool.
1: Oh man, haunting. Yeah, haunting.
0: That's it's, awesome. I used yeah. to listen to Big Country cuz they used to use, uh, you know, that back in the day. Uh they were into that. And I, I really liked the weird sound. They had this really interesting kind of Irish uh Scottish sound that was like new wave and then very oh, that, oh, Big Country? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that what
1: that was on their big hit?
0: Yeah, they It sounds like
2: actually I was I was going to do a video about it and I studied it. It's they're playing ibanez guitars, but there's an effect. It's a detuning effect i think it was uh mxr or something I, I got the note somewhere but it's a specific effect unit that they had well i wow. mean it was the way that they played because they yeah. do these droning strings and it would sound like bagpipes right yeah. It was actually yeah. a detuning effect <laughs> that they use you can't buy it anymore um well wow. and and even back then it wasn't a super popular effect and um there was a very specific sound steve lillywhite produced that album
1: yeah uh, i never knew that uh,
2: yeah if you listen to the drums it sounds like a you i mean if you actually listen to it, it's kind of like a u2 record in a yeah. way like the way the the, the drum sound. Yeah. sound yeah, but kind of yeah like they, Brian,
0: you know it's kind of like unforgettable fire in a way
2: yeah but they had kind of a specific thing but a lot of it was like this uh, some kind of do tuning God, what?
0: I, yeah, I... I thought I was an Ebo because it, it was very unique. I never really heard it anywhere else because they were, like, one of the only bands to do it. And then we like, Unforgettable Fire was doing stuff that was kind of in the same zone. But, um, yeah, that I, I'm just a big 80s guy, so I, I could probably go on and on about that. Yeah, same and You here. guys seem to channel... Like, are your... Is your vibe purposely kind of pulling from that time period, the 80s, 90s?
1: Uh, I... I don't know the answer to that question. It just is. It just I mean, is. we're just, I
2: think we're just doing what we like. I mean, I was in bands in the 80s. I, well, I mean, I performed through the 80s and in the 90s, and I was always doing records in in the studio, but then my career really took off in the 90s. But I always had this thing that happened for years when I was making records up into the early 2000s where I would get people to say, well, it just sounds a little 80s to me. And I would be trying my damnedest to not. To not sound '80s, <laughs> and it would still sound '80s. So I spent years trying to not sound like the '80s, but now it's cool again. Yeah, like, so I've, I've got, I've yeah, got an.
0: Free, you're free to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've got an eight-year-old son, and and my 18-year-old son has been into Tears for Fears for years. He knows all the lyrics and Duran yeah. Duran and all that. So now it's nice to not hold back. So when yeah. Jim came to me and we, you know, we were in bands together in the '80s and into the '90s. So I guess we're just kind of doing what we like, and it's just kind of—it's not like we're trying to sound '80s. I just think it's like what we yeah, like, you know. And the like, other,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's kind of like if that's what you are, that's what you are. Like if you're like yeah. funkadelic, like that's funkadelic, right? And funkadelic maybe they—they're not in their time anymore, right? But if they're when they were doing it, people—that's the zone. And if you try to get outside of that, you know, they're never going to sound as good as when they're at you know doing like the tear the roof off. That—that's yeah. kind of their zone you know and you can try and every artist is going to go through phases you know the other
2: thing is that the music business is different now like for most of my career there are very specific guidelines on what you could do as far as wanting to have any kind of success like if you wanted a record deal or get to play Mm -hmm. you know you had rock country you know dance pop heavy metal and, you know and variations within that but there there was actually gatekeepers and systems to keep you in, in line in and range. even when i was yeah and and then when the internet started blowing up and the record industry fell apart the idea of genres kind of fell apart now I, and there's bands out there that are popular now that i i challenge you to even just tell me what the genre is some of these bands you can't really say what the genre is it doesn't really matter anymore yeah. and i like that it, it it so it's like so many of the artists i work with are blending genres but i don't even i don't think that it, a lot of these people aren't i don't think they're thinking like oh i'm gonna blend genres no they're just they're just, doing, doing, they're just doing what they like but that was not something easily done back in the old days like in the old days you had to really think about you know fine tune. i mean there were so many restrictions i mean the one of the bands i was in or one of my bands I mean I had uh, a black guy and and, and, a, and a, another guy that was kind of part Asian and e- even that was a weird thing like the record label labels like oh well, we don't know how to market you I'm like why and it's like well you got a black guy in the group
1: that, you know and we got we
2: got appeal to the brothers man I'm like what the fuck are you talking about that yeah. and I I couldn't believe it but nowadays yeah. no I, I remember when some 41 became popular I was like well look at that like it's a racially mixed group finally, But there were so many restrictions back then. And nowadays it just doesn't matter. Like you can kind of do what you want. It's it's a wonderful time. I I think we're in a very creative time musically as far as, you know, the world is concerned. It's a great time to be doing music.
0: So like, so you would, if somebody was going to pin you down for a genre, you would, would you be like, well, I don't want to get pinned down. It's like indie it's, you know, alternative It's a new, new way. I mean, what would you say?
2: It's the coolest fucking music, man. That's what it is. That, that's the <laughs> Go
0: out there and say coolest fucking music. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think some people know it sounds 80s, but I think some people would not even think. Like, I put, you know, a couple of these videos, like playing little excerpts of this music out there on my Instagram, on my YouTube, mm-hmm. and I don't think anybody yet has said anything about the 80s. They're just like, well, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Well, the you thing know, today, I, I heard today that there has been a rebellion against some of the kind of overproduct production that's going on and people are going back to the eighties and nineties albums and they're actually getting more play. Um, I heard that my daughter had t- told me, she's like a 22 year old and she said, yeah, like people want to hear bands that actually composed songs. Yeah. bands you know, like yeah. of the world. And the, and the Pink Floyd's, and you know, and even if you get to like a Guns and Roses, like a band that actually could produce heavy metal, like a Def, you know Def Leppard, like they could do it, you know. And that and it was like, where's the next Def Leppard? Where's the next uh, you know actual mm-hmm. Rose? You you don't see that as much, but in the underground, I have you know interviewed bands in Germany that channel like Guns and Roses. They're doing like a new Guns and Roses, but they're super small, right? They yeah. they they love that sound and they're doing it or they're doing like a deep purple or they're doing, there's so many like underground bands. They're like, okay, I want, I like that. And that's what I'm going to do. And it like, it seems like the gatekeepers don't want to let it go through, but in the underground of the SoundClouds of the world and the YouTubes and all the other places, these bands are getting audiences. They're getting on Instagram. They're getting followers. They're, they're touring. They're, they're, they're making success. And that's why I try to do this podcast. to kind of show people that there is a scene outside mm-hmm. of the top 10, top 20 that, there's still stuff going on. That's pretty cool.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know how strong the gatekeepers are now. Like probably in the last couple of years, probably half the songs that ended up on the top of the charts started on TikTok, And it was just people just screwing around, you know, like this one producer I follow on Instagram, he made a beat and said, Hey, put something over this. And people would like do something with their cell phone. And one of them blew up and became a top 10 hit. And it was just, I mean, it was like rap music or something like that, but, I just think that if you can do something that's cool, people respond to it. Like, you know, like people just, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no, there's, there's really nobody to hold you back if you can get out there and get a following, you know, because it was all about distribution and the old days was all about control of the radio stations and control of the distribution channels. You couldn't even put a record or a CD in a store. Unless it was like a little mom and pop shop, Mm -hmm. unless you went to official channels and then there's all this other stuff involved. But now if you can put a video out online and it's good and you can get people to watch it, you can blow up. And I mean, you know, there's nobody stopping you. It kind of except yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting is that they know that you can if you feel like you don't have to change who you inherently are. As a musician, to try to tap into a wave, you can say, you know what, Tokyo Teens, you are Tokyo Teens, and you're gonna do what you want. And the audience, yep. the way the world is, if you're on Instagram, people all over the world will hear you, you know. And when you get on a real, you get mm-hmm. on TikTok, you get on YouTube, everybody mm-hmm. in the world, your whole audience, you know, is like, you know, everywhere. Yes. And and so that doesn't that opens up a gate that you know the gatekeepers can't stop that. That's where. You you can get invited to play in Dubai. You could be playing in London. You could be playing in you know Argentina just because there's there's a scene. You know you get an agent or like well, yeah there's a scene in Argentina and they like you, so you can go.
1: Yes, yes, you're <laughs> you know? right. And the, the entire world is just right there at your fingertips. You don't have to go anywhere. You do all the hard work yourself at home, as far as promotion like something like that, Instagram or you know TikTok. They're right, right there waiting for you. All you have to do is work your ass off and take advantage of that. It's your career. You need to bust your ass and get somewhere and you can, if you work hard enough, you'll get there because just like you said, Phantom, there are people that want to hear your music, right? There are people that are going to understand what you as an artist, any artist, what you're doing, but you have to get it out there and nobody's going to work harder than, than you. Well, hopefully. You need to be, yeah, you need to be busting your own ass, and then other people will hop on board, Yeah. okay? But you have to have, if you just do what you do and do it well, all right, and work your butt off, okay, you're going to get some momentum. You're going to get somewhere with it.
0: Yeah, I think what happens is, like, people, like, they, you know, what I found is, like, I've always been into like a certain kind of aesthetic that where I feel it's like honest, like where I got driven to guys like Paul Westerberg and Bob Mold and Grant Hart and stuff like that, and you know, the, uh, Ian Curtis, because I felt like mm-hmm. they they felt they you felt like when they're doing it, they weren't trying to be some big star. They just felt like no, it's real. They it's they, not they, about they, being a
1: star. That's yeah, not
0: wanting to do it. They that's just not wanted- the name
1: of the game, right? You're just doing what you do. Oh wait, I thought we were trying to be stars. We are. <laughs> well, oh you uh, are shit. Right. Wait a minute. Right. Let, let me take a note. I was on the I was on the wrong track.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, there's nothing wrong with trying to be a star. because you want to be like a Freddie Mercury? You want to be a Prince, you want to be a Michael Jackson. You know, there's some people like they they did so driven. Like, you know, they, they, the whole thing with Prince was he did like, all broke all the rules. He did, like multiple genres, multiple different styles on one record you know, have a band that's like multi-racial and had women in it.
1: And, mm-hmm. You know, he's
0: doing all these things you're not supposed to do. And, and then, you know, eventually Warner get in a fight with him because he finally started hitting the wall and say, like, yeah, I want to do this. And say like, no. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I still want to do it. <laughs> you know, and it's just, but I think like everybody, I, I always thought that that was a great story in terms of, you know, he's 17 and he let him produce his own record.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. and he
0: just kind of forced it because it it is his own pure will of, I want to be as big as I can be. And he learned every freaking instrument and he just did it. And I was like, damn. Yeah. I, that mm-hmm. was like a Hendrix thing to me. And I always like mm-hmm. looking at a guy being an African American, I'm looking at like guys like Hendrix. And, uh, you know, if you think about Lead Belly and Robert Johnson, I was always driven to like, these are awesome people. Even Steven Wonder, you know, all the Motown mm-hmm. guys, it was, like, it was always like, yeah, mm-hmm. they just kicked ass. And mm-hmm. so you just kick ass, like you're saying, and you believe it. Mm-hmm. You just do it. You know, you just try to be the best you can be, and just and your audience will come to you.
1: Yes, yes. You, I mean, they're out there; they're waiting for you. You just have to go out there and get them. Let them know that you're here. But the, if you just, if you sit around and just think about it, they're never going to find you, man.
0: Well, I think also they're not going to know who you are. You think it's like also, do you find like an artist if you spend too much time like in the lab? <laughs> Trying to right. make the most perfect thing instead of trying things and maybe too scared to try things and put different things out there, right? So a lot of mm-hmm. young artists today they'll, they'll throw things against the wall, right? They'll throw mm-hmm. it up on sound, throw it on TikTok. They don't mm-hmm. know if it's good, they don't know if it's perfect. They just do it. And there, there's an old school thing. Of, Look, I'm gonna spend a year trying to get this one track like like to be born like border to run. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna spend yeah. Like, yeah. A, a year yeah. on this track like border to yeah. run to. Like, I, there's a place to do that, and I still uh, think there are bands that will do that. But what do you think about that kind of like? That kind well,
2: of- you know, he was probably working on other songs at the same time
0: mm-hmm.
2: as Born to Run. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like you, you, you're, you're touching on something that I think that's important, and it was a, a big thing with me about becoming a producer. I, I spent so much time wanting to be really good and wondering if I was worthy. And then I look around and I realize there's guys out there calling themselves producers and getting work and they're not even as good as me. And I don't even think they think about whether they're good or not. They're just doing it. It kind of comes down to a very simple thing. Either you do it or you don't. And you know, going into rap music, when I started doing rap music, it was kind of a a big wake up call for me because these guys like there there would be times in the studio I'd be working and I always have like a bunch of guitars around the studio, right? Mm-hmm. And they would look around and, and, and see these guitars and not say anything. And at some point, I might pick up a guitar and they'd go, oh, wow, you actually play it. I'm like, yeah, they thought it was for decoration. <laughs> but then what would happen is I would start playing guitar on something and I'd do something cool. And and more than once, one of these guys would look at me and go, wow, it, it it's like art. <laughs> <laughs> it's art. <laughs> and it, at first it kind of bothered me. but i actually found it kind of liberating because i realized that for years i had been taking my i mean I, i'm definitely an artist and i'm into art but it's easy to take yourself too seriously mm-hmm. and these guys were just trying to have a hit song and they're just trying to make something that could make them some money so they didn't think of it as art and i thought that was kind of liberating for me it's like oh i, I don't have to take myself seriously we can just have fun and make we can just do something catchy but the funny thing is is when you quit thinking about it as art you're actually more likely to create something artistically unique than when you're spending so much time thinking about being an artist and and i just i it was this amazing thing for me where i just felt like some of my best work was with a bunch of guys that were not thinking about it as art they were they think of it more like they're an athlete like they're a free agent baseball player or something like that. And I just, I just wanted to hit a home run. And to me, that was like so liberating. And the other thing with rap music I found interesting is that those guys are always in the studio. Like they, one of these, I, I would have clients that literally had an album come out on a Wednesday, the album they've been working on for a year. And on Thursday they're back in the studio working on new songs. I mean, they're gigging too, yeah. but the idea of constantly writing, yeah you can if you think about picasso picasso worked all the time and painted an insane amount of pictures and it's just a numbers game you just got to do a lot of it but i've met people like well i've been working on this one song for a year i'm like well fucking good luck man (laughs)
0: because you you, like
2: I, i look at it this way like no matter what you're doing in life Probably nine times out of ten, you're gonna fail. Like, like people look at my discography and they go, "Wow, you've been so successful." But what they don't realize is that the discography that I show the public is maybe five percent of my work or less. I mean, yeah. the vast majority of what I've done has co- commercially failed, or even to some degree, like just even artistically. I mean, there were just failures. But you got to do a lot of work. So if you're gonna fail nine times out of ten you You got to go ahead and get those failures out of the way. So when I'm doing something, if I fail at something, instead of being depressed, I'm like, well, shit, that one's dead. I only eight more to go.
0: (laughs) I think that's a really interesting thing because I think that's why Prince had the output. He did. He was pretty much recording every day. And uh, I kind of look at the old school, you know, what was going on in Motown is people would just be writing all the time trying to get the hit. And if it didn't work, Mm -hmm. give it to another band if it didn't work, you know, give it to this band, give it to four Tops, give it to temptation, give it to Martha Vettels. They just keep on rotating, right. around, change it around here, change it down. They just kept on producing, you know, the Funk Brothers yeah. would just produce and produce and produce and all day, yes. you know? And the way I look at it with like Prince, you know, I've, I've been listening to everything he ever did. I'm a, a fanatic. And he just wouldn't stop recording, he, you know, they made his house the studio. His house was his studio. So he could just come into to to a crazy high-level studio and just record every day, and he did. (laughs) And he's he's got like thousands and thousands of like songs that are as good as anything he ever did, and nobody's ever heard it. And and to me, that that was kind of why you saw the output he had Mm -hmm. is because of that story what Belly was saying. like He had so much output that you got a piece of it.
1: Yeah, and now you have to constantly work Constantly, I mean, that's why we're excited. This new album will have 112 songs on it. So we're
0: <laughs> we're real? working all the time, baby. <laughs> sorry, this is—is is this an EP or a full album? Well,
1: uh, this will be an EP, and I don't know. We'll we'll we have at least two singles. There may be three singles, and then we'll just re- release the the rest of it with the singles as an EP. Maybe something like that. Yeah, I guess it seems
0: what do you think of the way the playlist world is? It seems like you have to be in a singles market, kind of like in the yeah. 50s. That's,
1: yes, yes, you're you're exactly right about that. And you know what? That's okay.
0: Cool. Cool. You know, I think it's cool to give the customer or to give the band, to give the fans uh, I think the fans want to see the bands like actually put out like every month if they can You know, I've seen a lot of people mm-hmm. they, they want to if they're into their band. So you know, the band might put out a mixtape, and then they'll put out their official record, and then they put out something mm-hmm. underground, like on some other format, <clears> and <throat> and people are willing to to go after it. Especially in the weird, I hear people like saying, "Oh, the album's dead," but then if you go into hip hop, there are concept albums they're all over the place. Yeah, they're like sixty minute, seventy minute albums within well, the hip hop world, actually gaining traction and people listening to them. So it's just kind of like you guess you just have to be interesting enough to gate that audience to, to listen that long.
1: Well it's wide open, Phantom. It's wide open. So it's pretty much anything goes. You put out what you want to put out. You should be you should be releasing singles, first of all. But aside from that, if you want to do a double album, do a double album. Didn't um I don't know, the country artist Mor- Morgan Wallen, that was a double album. That was a double album. Wasn't yeah, that someone... number one forever? So yeah. hey yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know that there's a formula or a rule.
0: Yeah, I think Dude. the rules are gone. I think I mean, cause they, like, if somebody says, "Oh, you can't do a Bohemian Rhapsody type of thing anymore," you can't do that, and then somebody will go out and do it, right? And then, yeah, so, you yeah, "Yeah, no, you can't. You, can't, you can You only do two-minute songs
1: because that's hey, what the audience deals with." Tell tell us not to do something, and, you, and you're going to you get can. it right back in your face. <laughs> all right, that punk aesthetic. So, don't even like. Don't even be putting rules or any of that on on us we're not we're not playing that and we're breaking a lot of rules on this on this these records Mm -hmm. um we're we're breaking rules so we're we're blending genres we're blending ideas we're blending concepts together and it's man it's so exciting I, i just can't wait for everybody to hear what we've done
0: what what's the target date for the first hit to drop
1: uh, that's a good question. First thing well, I gotta finish mixing will. it first.
0: It's in the mixing stage. He's mixing it I mean, it right I'll now. probably
2: be done in a couple of days, but I don't. We still have to
1: know, get way. it out there.
0: So you're saying like by summertime or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to get on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once that drops, everything else will get mixed. I mean, we have to, you know, there's a small amount of recording to do, not much. We'll fill holes, you know.
0: Are you going to make, like, uh, I, you know, I saw the video you made. Are there official, like, music videos for the songs, or are you going to tour it? They're, or? they're
1: going They're going to be. They're going to be live shows. Uh, we'll probably just, there'll be a, a lyric video and then an official video uh, for the first single called Forever.
0: Okay, I saw that. You're, you're announcing that on Instagram. I saw that.
1: Yes, yes. So that'll be the first single, and uh, then we'll have videos for that. And then... Um, yeah, we're just going to roll with it after that. I don't know what the with the next uh single release after that will be. We haven't really decided.
2: Yeah, it's such a new project. It's kind of like you come up with a game plan and then you start going forward and then everything's going to change and we'll adjust. Yeah. You know, it's not like yeah. some bands I work with that put out multiple albums and tour it and they already kind of know what their audience is and what works and what doesn't, but we're at this stage you're like we don't we don't know and mm-hmm. I don't really care right now just as long as we start putting it out we'll figure it out as we go i don't really i just think that you know coming up with a plan's cool but it's gonna all change once we start doing it but main thing is getting it out there um i i I, just to be honest with you nothing that i've actually planned ever worked out ever (laughs) i've never had a plan work out but what ends up happening is that i go out there the plan fails but it triggers other things to happen and then i and i'm smart enough to i don't know if i'm smart but i know that the plan's gonna fail so what i do is i start the plan fails but i see what came of it and i go well let's try this instead it's always worked that way it's kind of funny like i so i don't even like i don't even like to talk about shit because it's gonna fail so i talk about it (laughs) I'm no, just gonna,
0: you know. I get it because like you kind of, it's you know, you put something out there, and you let the wind kind of take you where the wind's going to take you. Right. So, so I think that's what sometimes you, you, you get an audience and then suddenly you find out that this is hitting like in, in Berlin. So that's where I need to go because that's where my main audience is. Right. So like, like, yeah. if, mm-hmm. so you kind of, you, you could mm-hmm. say, well, I'm going to go do here, 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 but then it's like Berlin's the only place that's really hidden. So maybe I really need to just go there. Yes. Yes you, 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 yes. you don't know that until you actually put it out and that's then you right. see it. Then you're like, okay, now I know what I can do. And okay, right. I can do that. Um, so yeah, I can understand. You kind of got to be on your feet and be nimble enough to not Mm -hmm. get locked into anything because the way the world is, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, you can end up going to Dubai. You can end up going to, you know, into into, like the Netherlands or Iceland because there's a bunch of people in Iceland, like dig you and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll go there. You know, you just kind of go. It's just fluid.
1: It's fluid. We don't know. No one knows. So we'll just roll with whatever, whatever happens. Uh, But there's, there's already been so much positive feedback already we haven't released the first song yet it's amazing i just we're so thankful that people are reaching out to us and people are so excited
0: well you uh, got a great t- sound i mean the sound that i heard and uh is this something i think is is why well, i don't hear enough I mean, i've been you thank know, you a child of the 70s and a big fan of the 80s 90s yeah. and uh <clears throat> I, I i think you can't go wrong with that kind of big beat and the kind of mm-hmm. like uh, the atmospheric like sense, mm-hmm. you know, the rolling sounds, right, that right. I was hearing. Um, not to, to be a guy to push that, because I mean, I like DX sevens. I like, so like yeah, you, know, like, you know, prophets. I like Oberheims. Mm-hmm. So I like pretty much anything that serves the song. So as the synthesis, like, okay, this song needs an Oberheim, this song needs a Prophet, this song needs a Jupiter. Yeah, and you're the, right. You're right. You serve the song. Are, yeah, it's like if I need a Jupiter eight sound, I'll go with a Jupiter. If I wanted a weird. Crazy sound like a Jupiter six because it's really weird. It doesn't act like any other Roland. I was like, Mm -hmm. that that one I'll go with that one because it does really weird, kind of discordant things. And it's like you know, you just kind of take the tools that you need to do where your head's at. So if I'm I'm very discordant today, so I'm going to use a Jupiter six because that kind of is its its main feature is it can go there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you can't take whatever you guys. It's like a guitarist. It's like you're going to pick the guitar. That has the tone that fits your mm-hmm. mood that you need, or what you're trying to drive, you know, or the pedal or the amp mm-hmm. it's doing what you want it to do. I mean, so when you yep. when you get into like your guitar phases, that you got like favorite guitars over the years that you've collected that you use for certain tones.
2: Well, where's <laughs> I mostly? Oh shit! I mostly <laughs> use uh where the hell did it go? Oh, can you hand me that? This. This is actually my main guitar here this mm-hmm. is a uh, bill lawrence guitar um bill lawrence made pickups mm-hmm. and i bought this in the 80s because it's got these stacked uh double coils they look like they look like fender pickups oh, wow, yeah, but they're yeah, actually yeah. stacked double coils now this is a customized mullinax pickup it's a guy here in atlanta oh, and awesome. it, he just he didn't even have a shop he just makes them for people but this guitar it's been my main guitar for years it's like like my favorite guitar and i think i bought it for like 800 bucks but then you could find them in pawn shops for 50 bucks because nobody knew what they are they're great guitars i don't mm-hmm. i i i haven't seen one in decades i mean they were not common guitars and then i play um oh can you hand me that right there yeah. the uh telecaster <laughs>
0: okay i like telecast now this guitar
2: here there's a funny story so i have got two studios we're in my home studio now my other studio is my old home i had to move out but that's Mm -hmm. where i did a bunch of records but i had a couple studios there and in one of the studios like i work in the basement it's i got up the whole basement it's a studio but i had another studio upstairs that a lot of the big rap records i did were recorded there but i had a producer that rented it out for a couple of years and he this guitar was hanging up in the wall in there so i just figured it was his guitar when he moved out i said hey man i called him up and said you you left your telecaster he said that's not mine that's that was just in the studio <laughs> i'm like oh shit! i don't even know where this thing came from but it's actually um a korean made telecaster it's a, a, a for fender but it was one of their cheaper brands the, the korean oh. version mm-hmm. but it's so well made that people started Buying these instead of the expensive American-made ones. It's got like a through-body neck on it.
0: Oh wow, this thing plays rare.
2: Dude, this thing plays amazing. So Fender has this thing like if you know the serial number, you can look it up online and find out like what anything about your guitar. But you can't find any of these guitars on there. They they took them off the date. They don't even admit they made these things. (laughs) It's this (laughs) weird brand, and I looked it up online, and there's like a there's like a whole culture behind these Korean-made. Uh Fender guitars. This thing's amazing. But it literally was just showed up at my studio, but was not uncommon. Things would show up at my studio all the time. I would find a guitar. I found a mic pre, but then I would like find pants. But I never <laughs> I never saw anybody yeah, leaving their bad. underwear. So well, I don't know they, where that came. They, in. Yeah,
0: that story comes from. <laughs> the
2: pants were there, but nobody left in their underwear. Their weirdest things That's would show right. up at my studio and um like even like filming gear, like I've got that weird adapter or that oh, yes. that I'm always using. I don't know, it's a nice adapter. It just showed up one day. Just and people,
1: people show up. People just show up. Rob from accounting spent three weeks there. Weird, weird. Doesn't things, remember a single night. happened at the studio. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> so it's like this oh, whole. Man. So Tokyo teams. Um, I never had thought to ask you, like, why did you choose that name? What's what? There's is, is there's a story behind. the the uh, the name you chose for the band well
1: not really it's just I thought it sounded cool but it has absolutely nothing to do with the music
0: yeah I noticed it doesn't mean anything
1: (laughs) you ain't from Tokyo and you ain't a teen I ain't a teen I ain't been a teen in a long time baby
0: perfect But it's just one of those things where it's like it's the opposite of what you think it is yeah
1: it's the the opposite it really doesn't mean anything but it's memorable yeah yeah Uh, it looks cool you know
2: yeah my kids my my kids don't like it
1: <laughs> what's wrong with them
2: because well i mean they're really into japanese music and culture and stuff like that so they think somehow we're like
1: we making fun of it Or something.
2: i don't know what they well my kids think i'm an idiot anyway but you're a silly old man i'm a That's silly what... old man no they That's just what... they're kind of like they've not they've not actually come out and said anything but i they give me disapproving looks if i ever say the name
1: well, I'm going to beat them with a two-by-four. I got I a two-by-four go two right back here. You can borrow it. Just kidding. Yeah. Okay, well, uh-huh. I'll use a brick then. But, yeah, yeah. so it means – it 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 means not. It doesn't mean anything. It just sounds cool.
0: That's cool. It'll look I, I cool on
1: a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, we'll have plenty of T-shirts for $25 coming out, so, hey.
0: Yeah, that's always the thing you got to do today. The thing is crazy, like, if you think about the way the Spotify world is, or the streaming world oh, is. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to mm-hmm. New York and I got like a hundred t-shirts. I'll make more money than I made on my Spotify yeah. for like six months. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. You know, cause you, you, you can sell a poster. You can sell like, like a CD that you, you went and made yourself with some company and you can mm-hmm. do better. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's kind of sad that, that you can't monetize directly your music at the level But I guess even back in the day, you weren't really monetizing because you were selling it, and the record company was giving you like $0.10 for an $8 Yeah,
2: but I still made more money when there were record labels. I made made more money back then, for sure, uh, because music is now – yeah, the labels were ripping people off, but they were making a lot of money. So even with us getting ripped off, we were still making money. But now (laughs) music is basically free now. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it gets paid for, but it's not like people are going to the store and buying music. So it's not like the money that used to be in this business is, 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 it's yeah. Not,
0: the only know. way it seems you seem to monetize. What I found is like, you got a sync license. You got it. You got to sync license your stuff. Like I found a way to get my stuff on, uh, um, on, uh. Uh, if you get on to the, the different uh, uh gaming sites like Twitch mm. i actually got a deal with BMI to g- license my stuff on Twitch so i mm. get paid like a higher royalty rate than i do on Spotify if uh, some gamer uses my music in his background I, my rate is higher than i would stream uh, streaming on Spotify or iTunes and yeah. that's how, how yeah. you can get you can get stuff like that where you can actually get a better deal um mm-hmm. and you it's can just make, weird he-
2: You can make good money touring i mean some of the groups i work with tour a lot and live music is very popular now like people love to go see bands so like like, the whole live thing is great right now and so a lot of bands are doing good with that um but but the thing is if if you can sell your music or make money off streaming or whatever and you're doing it on your own the overall income might not be as good as it used to be, but since you own it, you have more control. Your your actual ratio of what you're getting is way higher.
0: Yeah, because in the, the old thing.
2: days, like you you would have to sell a lot of records to make. I mean, the thing a lot of people don't realize is that very few artists actually made a ton of money in the music. They would you would think they made a lot of money because they were famous, but they weren't really making that kind of money. Like very few people made. The kind of money everybody money. thought
0: they made. Yeah, because they're all giving you like advances, and then saying you got to make it back. Like, and maybe your first record hit a big number, but then they expected your next record to hit the same as the first record. And how how is that going to happen? Like, like, if you take yeah. like an example, like like Prince he did like eight million, ten million on Purple Rain, but then around World in Warden the Day did like two. And <laughs> Warners, is, Warner's is acting yeah. like. Or yeah. the one they should have got, should've, should've got <laughs> the same as Purple Rain. So now we're not going to give you the money because we already gave you an advance. So you're not going to get anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean that's kind of the way it works. Is because like how you ever going to get back? Like once in a while you'll get a band like the Eagles or something. will suddenly boom they hit something, but then like you know the long run didn't do what you know what 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 the Hotel yeah. California did, and it was yeah. never going to do that. The long yeah. run was it was a great album. It's a good album, but it was never going to hit that number. And then if you're measured on getting that number, then you're not going to get it. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Numbers. Numbers. Going back to what you were saying, numbers. Yeah. Well, it's just
2: best to try to do it on your own. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're doing all of this ourselves.
0: Well, I think doing it yourself, you know, the do, do it yourself kind of uh, mentality today. And, you know, it's in rap. And the thing about hip hop that it is that you've kind of spoken to is like hip hop is a lot of people just had a lot of heart and they maybe they got a lot of drive and they yeah. want to do it. And they might not, they didn't go to Berkeley and they don't, they don't, a lot of times mm-hmm. they, do, they know, don't know how to play an instrument, but they got a feel, right? And they might yeah. have the lyrical content and they've got the presence. May they got a stage presence, they got a personality that can carry it through, so if they get in a video and they can present themselves, they got like that stage craft, and so you're okay, well, that's always been kind of in rock. There's always been the guy that has the stage presence that can kind of push it and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, and then okay well, that's that's what we can do. We can take that stage presence and knock it out the park like a Bowie, you know mm-hmm. and they put Bowie on mm-hmm. stage and turn him into you know. Aladdin saying he becomes the Ziggy, and he yes. just you know the Thin White yes. Duke he just became that. You know we were trying right. to be just Jay David Jones, it didn't work. Nobody right. went to see David Jones, but they went to see Ziggy. They went to see the yep. Thin White Duke. You know, just, mm-hmm. so it's, I think in rap it's kind of like these guys create this persona, and mm-hmm. maybe it's not who they really are, or maybe mm-hmm. it is, but mm-hmm. but I think it's kind of hyperbolic, and that's how you get through. You know, you know I think you can learn that you can take that whether you're a rapper or an edm guy or a rock Mm -hmm. guy you take that and you kind of like well i can kind of take that and use it
1: (laughs) well i think now they're calling it branding yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's very important you know i mean we kind of laugh at that but it's very important to let people know who you are i mean whether whether it's a created character or not it doesn't matter you have to be something Mm -hmm. you can't have zero identity so you've got to figure that out and you have to give that to the people. So they know who you are and what you're about. It
2: is the entertainment business.
1: Yes, it's right. It's called entertainment. It better be
2: entertaining. Yeah. My, my thing is I realized that a, a couple times that I was actually more interesting than my clients.
1: <laughs> That's a red flag. That's
2: a problem. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got more stories and I'm more dynamic. Like, you know, if I'm working with somebody and they keep interrupting me because they got more stories and it pisses me off, I know they're probably going to do well.
1: But if they just sit
2: there politely and listen to me, there's something wrong. There's something. You don't
1: want them to sit there and say (laughs) nothing. Like,
2: you're just sitting there listening to me blab. Dude, say something, man. I can't be the only one telling all the stories here. But it's got to be entertaining.
1: Yeah, You know? I mean, I
2: think that's why I did well as a producer. I mean, I, I had my own bands, but when I got into production and mixing, that showmanship never left me. So I would... I, I, I never really thought about it putting on a show, but I think that's part of why my clients like me and why people believed in me because I was doing good work. but it was kind of like the 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 Billy Hume show in the studio too. it still is oh, was well, still, definitely it still is, is. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's just, I mean you know I mean things and, happen that's all I'm gonna say things, things do happen. happen things happen
1: and there's a night and Billy made a nice documentary about us uh doing some of the recording here. It's mm-hmm. on his YouTube channel, Freaking Out with Billy Hume. It's called In the Studio with Billy Hume and Tokyo Teens. Well, it's about a 20 25 minute documentary about us being crazy and record doing some of the recording here. It's very interesting if anybody wanted to look that up.
0: Well, I can actually link it when we actually because when this gets published, it can have okay. multiple links and doesn't okay. just have one or two. So if you have that direct link sent to me real quick and I can add it into the publication of this when it goes to Spotify
1: oh man that'd be great yes yeah, very interesting and so you can see some of the some of the crazy stuff that we do and we do have fun I mean that's the bottom line you want to have fun you don't want to get in here and be miserable yeah we we like to have a good time and we and we do and we've known each other for many years that
2: was the thing about like when I went from rap music and I went into country music they they're not a whole lot of fun in the studio the I mean they're not life. a drag it's just like a job. Everybody oh. goes and then they leave. And I'm I'm used to rap sessions where-
0: They last all but, night.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're working, but there's a part where everybody stops and everybody has this conversation or some, I just, you know, just things happen, you know, where things are unexpected or we work on one song and things head in another direction and who knows what's going to happen. But on country sessions, it's all very- Straight up. Straight so up, it's at, like a they job. Look
0: they look at their watches, it's time to well, go. Well, <laughs>
2: yeah, well, so it's very regimented and sessions are like, are limited to three hours. There's nobody drinking. There's nobody smoking. I mean, what Damn. kind of what kind of fucking session is that, is, man? Isn't
0: like, is that the Nashville so like? That's the Nashville rule.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've done some work in Nashville, but even the independent country guys, they can be a little cooler. But it's still kind of viewed more as a um, a task or a job as wow. opposed to a lifestyle. Because, you know, I mean, they they tend to be more live musicians, so they're not in the studio all the time. Whereas with, with other genres, you're in the studio all the time, and it's part of the culture. And that was one of the things I liked about rap music was that it was studio-based, and they understood that you're using the studio as an instrument. Yeah,
0: they doing the Beatles thing, even and, though it's they're, yeah. they're a totally different genre, but they're yeah. using the Beatles concept. But,
2: Yes, yes, definitely. Yes, yes, you're right. Everybody said I was a hard worker when I was younger, and I believed them until I started working with little John <laughs> <laughs> then I, I started to understand what hard work really was <laughs>
0: Well I think it's interesting to, to be able to cross genre because that's really part of what I love I try to you know throw in the idea of expansive sound is that you know one day I could be doing channel and Sunraw. The next day I could be challenged and like uh you know some some uh lead belly or I could I could be doing some like queen or I mean I can go anywhere I want to go because I'm not telling people mm-hmm. I'm just edm I'm just trance, I'm yeah. just electronic I could be punk I could be who you mm-hmm. could do we know black. that you're
1: big fans of uh yes and progressive the progressive bands of the 70s yeah.
0: yeah yeah I mean yeah if you think about like yes is like a big big draw for me just mm-hmm. because i like those like those like ten minute, twenty minute songs. Yeah, I, yes. I tend to go go there. Right. And when I go when I go live, people like that. The people who want to hear the ghost, they they like to see somebody still kind of doing the Keith Emerson, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing because they want to see that. Because that when you go out, do you just want to see somebody jumping up and down on a on on a MIDI controller, or do you want right. to see somebody like jamming out on a on a mini mode,
1: right? Or on a B right. three? You know, right. I,
0: I'd rather see Greg Allman on his Hammond any day you know i did go see them all the time <laughs> yeah. um because that's what i like jam bands so i mean i would go see funkadelic i would go see oh, man, the you know, almonds you know, and i would sit there and go see three almond ro- shows in a back to ro- back yeah just because walking watching dickie bats and watching those guys like that's it that's what i like you know and that's mm-hmm. you know that's personally my choice I and i think there's some cool hip-hop out there where people have done some really interesting things i like this guy earl sweatshirt i think he's an unbelievable rapper in terms of his lyric, lyrical density so there's some really cool stuff out there but i'm still like an old school guy kind mm. of you know. bernie worrell bernie worrell is the guy
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes yes you're right <laughs> yeah, man. I mean,
0: anything he touched I mean, hip-hop was u- is using his licks yeah. every day
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, Isley Brothers.
0: Oh, yeah. Isley Brothers. Like, I mean, Hendrix, I have some Hendrix stuff with them. I got some songs where Hendrix was playing with them. And do he be in a Chitlin circuit? He was doing backup. Oh,
1: I think I knew that. Maybe I forgot. I yeah. think I'd I heard actually, that before. Yeah.
0: I actually have some tracks. And you can hear him channeling, like, are you experienced types chord changes on an Isley Brothers oh, wow. song? Wow. And it's like before he ever hit big. And that's yeah. why he got, like, kicked out of the band, because he kept on throwing yeah. his licks that didn't really fit where Ernie were.
1: Ernie must have kicked his ass. You're out of here. It's like, it's
0: like, <laughs> why are you why are you showboating? Why are you showboating?
1: I remember, man, uh, when this album, Go For Your Guns, came out, the uh, the album cover, so it's, like, stage, and there's smoke and everything everywhere, mm-hmm. and I heard Go For Your Guns, and, dude, that album just blew my mind. Yeah. I mean honestly, I love them so much.
0: Yeah, they're just unbelievable. But yeah. um so I think we're, we're we we kind of hit our mark. We always go okay. by an hour, but it's like it's always fun. I love to just talk to bands I get a good vibe and you guys you guys yeah. got a cool vibe. You Thank know, you. I, I think you guys are going to be really you've you. actually hit a time where the audience wants what you're doing. In my yes. opinion. And I think you're gonna be very happy with the audience response if you guys, when you guys play live. I would love to see you guys if you come around New York or something, because uh, I'm in that in northeast. So
1: well, we'll make we'll make sure you're there. We'll take care of you,
0: definitely. <laughs> Thank yeah. you.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We enjoyed it. Thanks for having us tonight. Thank you. It's been nice talking to you, man. You're a cool dude. We'd love to do this again if you if you'll have us back at some point. Oh, yeah. We'd love to come yeah. back for
0: sure. We do multiple shows. So that, like if you guys have something you want to present, like when your EP is ready, okay. I'm not opposed to doing an album release episode if you, you're into it. Oh we, man,
1: that'd be great. Yes, yes, we definitely love to do that. We'll hey man, we'll put it in the books. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely I love,
0: that. I love to do it. At, I've done that a bunch of times with like, you know, emerging artists and you guys that would be really cool for me. That would be an honor to to actually be able to get that out for you.
1: We'll do it. We'll do it.
0: Okay, thank you guys. Have a good night. All you right. Too.
1: Thank you. See you everybody.